All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Season 9, Episode 29 of the DFO Fantasy Podcast, presented to you by Betway. If you're going to place a bet, Bet on Betway. Please play responsibly. Ontario only. A must be 19 years of age or older. Already a hot start to this edition of the DFO Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Segan. With me, as always, we got Dylan D. Berthing. How's it going, D? Uh, doing good, man. It was a bit of a long day, but I, I got to be honest, watching you stumble over that opening three or four times over, however many times it took, uh, really uh, put a smile on my face. So thanks for that. I, I appreciate it. Just an absolute professional. Just a professional through and through. Nine years of this shit, still can't get through the intro. Uh, no Beeps Blondie with us live today, but we will be splicing in his pre-recorded audio so he can help us through this show. We're going to have a little bit of fun today, do some buy or sell questions, uh, really just touch on some of the hottest topics across fantasy hockey and the NHL and give our viewpoints on them. Uh, whether it's a player to finish over 100 points or a bust to figure out his uh, struggles throughout the season, we're going to cover a variety of topics with 10 buy or sell questions. I guess they're not all buy or sell. Some of them are true or false or uh, are, uh, I mean, multiple choice. So lots of just variation, a couple different questions, and we will obviously finish the show as always with D's weekend streamers. So D, we'll start with you on the first one here. Which is more likely to happen this season? A, Austin Matthews scores 70 plus goals. B, Nathan McKinnon scores 140-plus points, or C, Nikita Kucherov scores 140-plus points. Just to provide some additional details, Austin Matthews is currently on pace for 71 goals. Nathan McKinnon's on pace for 141 points, and Nikita Kucherov is on pace for 139 points. Which is more yes. likely to happen? So all right there, you know I'm going to go with Austin Matthews. Um, I, I will say I, I feel like, I mean... 
him and McKinnon, you know, not the two greatest pillars of health just in terms of playing a full 82 across their career. Uh, Kucherov's kind of more of a one-off with that one extended absence he had a couple of seasons ago. But otherwise, um, he's finished over 80 games four times. He's done 82 three times. So that's a bit of an advantage for Kucherov here, I would say. But uh, I got to go with Austin Matthews. Just the, the hot start he's gotten off to right now. Um, I mean, it's crazy to say only, but he only needs 31 goals in his last 37 games uh, to get there. To your point, on pace for just over 71. I mean, I think if we're being honest with ourselves and we could take a, a straight up bet as to whether any of these will happen or not, I would probably say no, just because it's so difficult to keep up the kind of production that the three of these guys have showed to date. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go with my boy. I'm going to go with Austin Matthews simply because uh, it seems like the only way for the Leafs to get on the score sheet these days uh, is through the back of 34. So uh, I'll go with Matthews. Just doesn't seem to really be uh, slowing up at all. I mean, he's shooting the puck almost five times a game. Um, and uh, as obviously as lethal of a shot as anybody shooting 20%, which doesn't feel uh, totally unsustainable for him. Finished the year at 18 and a half percent a few years ago, 17.2% a season where he scored 60 in 73 games. So uh, give me Matthews because, uh, you know, he's a guy that's capable of just dropping three or four on any given night and, and getting back ahead of that pace and even giving himself a little bit more leeway than he's got. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, all three of these guys, it goes without saying, are having incredible seasons right now. 70 plus goals would just be absolutely insane. I'm going to go with Nathan McKinnon over 140 points. And the reason being, he actually had a bit of a slow start, a slow start from Nathan McKinnon, nine points in his first 10 games, which um, pales in comparison to what he's done since then. Uh, After game 11 on November 7th, he's put up 73 points in his last 38 games. Uh, over an 82-game season, that's on pace for 158 points. So a little bit of leeway based on what he's done since the start of November. So if you take October out of the equation, 140 points really doesn't seem that unlikely for Nathan McKinnon. And really, the the rates aren't too outrageous for a guy that's been as hot as he's been, shooting just 13.6%. Still, obviously, a couple percentage points higher than his career average, but not outlandish by any means. I think Austin Matthews is currently shooting around 20%. So you'd like to think that um, McKinnon's goal scoring is probably a little bit more sustainable, although obviously to a slightly lesser degree. And then the on-ice shooting percentage, 14.8% is obviously high, but we've seen uh, elite lines maintain levels of, of that production throughout seasons before. So I don't really think that there's too much to slow Nathan McKinnon down. So I will go over 140 points for Nathan McKinnon. Is it wrong if I kind of want to go with all three options? But um, that's no fun. Um, great number, though, because I think that they're all kind of flirting with exactly what we're talking about here. But I, who would have thought I have to go with, with my boy, the Nate Dog? He's getting bras thrown at him out in Colorado when he scores his fourth goal. So obviously that's going to inspire him just to keep on trucking. What it is for Nate Dog this year, I, I, I'll fully admit I've been rude to him in previous shows. Talked about his lack to stay healthy, lack of 82 games, but he is on an MVP pace, as a lot of media outlets are talking about. And when he's rolling like that, I just expect it to continue, currently on pace to beat that 140, just barely, but uh, we saw five goal, or sorry, five point night the other night, four points the game before, that's nine in two games, not to say that he's going to keep anywhere close to that pace, but he is just on a different level. I think that we're talking about a absolutely MVP season. Um, McKinnon's mindset and, and play is just 
been well documented about how serious this kid is, how all he does is, you know, they've talked about the diet, everything else. This is that next step. This is that next award. We saw him get interviewed the other night. He said, I haven't won the MVP yet. So I go Nate Dog 140 here, but I personally do think that we have three options here that are probably going to happen and that I want to happen because it's just better for the game of hockey. Next on the list, and kudos to us. I mean, I, I don't think that we're probably the only resource out there that was telling you to do this because it was pretty obvious. Uh, but we were screaming, I think, for for multiple episodes in a row to buy low on Matthew Kachuk. Uh, you know, every metric suggested that things were going to get uh, much, much better for Matthew Kachuk. And boy, have they. Um, coming into Thursday night, he has 24 points in his last 13 games, two points per game. He's been absolutely red hot. I've talked a lot about Sam Bennett being a quality pickup. He's been red hot. Carter Verhage, one of like that whole line is just absolutely sizzling right now. So after what Matthew Kachuk has done in the last couple of weeks, he is now over a point per game at 48 points in 47 games, which would put him on pace. Uh, for just over you know 85 points. But m- my question is, can he continue the role that he's been on as of late and get over 100-plus points on the season like he has in each of the last two seasons? Buy in or sell, Matt Kachuk over 100 points, D. I'm going to buy. I-, I think he's got enough time left to make up the ground. And, you know, he's obviously his production's right back to where he left off now, finally, uh, a year ago in his first season with the Panthers. And, just if you look at the numbers, he needs around a point and a half per game to get there the rest of the way, uh, 52 points uh, to make up. And like I said, right around one and a half points a game will get him there. He was 1.55 across 79 games last year when he finished with 100 and – oh, sorry, so just under that mark when he finished with 109 points in 79 games last year. But I think given the tear that he's on right now, uh, if you can just keep this hot streak going a little bit longer, he'll basically just be uh, right around where he's been at the last few seasons in terms of points per game will get him over that. 100 point hump. So uh, I think it is a bit of a stretch still, but just given the heater that he's on and how well that team is playing in general uh, across the board and and the fact that, you know, uh, to your point that you raised with McKinnon, similar uh, with Kachuk here, his percentages aren't aren't totally off the board either. Um, And I think his personal shooting percentage could still uh, continue to rise and and see a little bit of positive regression there. So uh, I like his odds of getting it done. I think it'll be close, um, but he's a hard guy to bet against right now. So I'll take the over. Yeah, I'll take the over as well, just because I've been talking about this line for a while. They've been red hot. They they struggled to produce at the level that you'd think they should based on the metrics they've produced. And now that they're sizzling, I really don't see him slowing down too much. And as I said, you know, it's been a couple of weeks of two points per game. And like you said, only needing over a point and a half over that stretch. But yeah, like he might just sneak this one across the finish line. Like if you took an over under on his point totals at the start of the season around a hundred, then you're going to be sweating this one for the remainder of the season. But at the very least, you should be thankful if this is alive because a few weeks ago that looked dead in the water. So great to see Matt paying off his high, uh, very high early draft uh, ranking where he was picked. I believe he was close to the top five um, in most formats this off season. And yeah, if you were able to cash in, on the buy low, obviously getting Makachuk um, away from owners isn't the easiest proposition, but you know, some 
owners certainly become more desperate than others. I tried desperately in a couple leagues and was unsuccessful, um, but I did get him away actually from my dad in one league and i felt greasy doing it but man i'd That's hang cold. out with him and he and he would be complaining about how bad kachuk was been and i was like yeah he's been terrible i'm like yeah i'll give you a whatever i don't even remember what i ended up giving him um but yeah it was it was ice cold they shouldn't have done it <laughs> again i have to go not the super fun option here but i'm gonna take the over as well fellas we are watching as you mentioned maddie tk just turn it incredibly around as who would have thought we would have thought 26 points in his last 15 games that's on pace for 142 across 82 add in that he's near a point per game right now where we speak he just has to close out the last 30 or so games with and i say just 50 points but it's totally doable and he's on an absolute tear right now shooting everything playing 19 minutes a night across that span we are going to watch him just continue to roll Took a little bit to get the train on its tracks, but now that the train's going, I think he's going to flirt with it. I'm guessing about 102, 103. But if we do see a cold stretch where Matty TK gets, you know, if, if we go four games, he gets two points, that could kind of put the nail in the coffin there. So uh, it's going to be interesting, going to be tight, but I will take that over all day. Okay, this next question is probably the easiest to answer for you because you watch this team more than anybody on this show. Who finishes with more wins this season? A, Martin Jones, who currently has nine. B, Joseph Wall, who currently has eight wins. Or C, Ilya Samsonov, who currently has seven wins and is suddenly red hot. Ooh, um, this is a bit of a tricky one. I mean, obviously, I think Samsonov's performance rest of the season is one of the most difficult to project right now across the league. I mean, we're talking about two really good games. Um, and then he had that one decent one in his first game back. But, uh, you know, we saw a pretty terrible sample size uh, leading up to that. Joseph Wall has by far, been, in terms of across the whole body of work, been their best goalie so far this season. Martin Jones got off to that really hot stretch to start. It's cooled off of late. Uh, it's tough, man. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to hold on to all three because I think there's no doubt that, uh, whichever one of Jones or Samsonov, if, if they were to try to send them back down, would not make it through waivers. Uh, I don't think, uh, unless Samsonov, you know, game falls off a cliff again, I don't think they sneak him through again, given the fact that, yes, it is a bit hefty of a cap hit at three and a half million, but it gets less and less by the day, the more games that are, are the less games that are left in the season. Uh, and of course, just one year remaining on that contract as well. So um, I was a little surprised, to be honest, in the first place that no one really took the gamble. Uh, on Samsonov. But back to the question at hand here. Uh, I don't know. I think just the uncertainty around Wall is what makes this um, really a tough question because I, I do think he's going to be the de facto number one when he comes back and it'll it'll probably be a time split. And like I said, it could be something like we've seen out of the Canadians this season where they're really rotating all three and giving them all a chance to kind of really stake their claim to the job ahead of the postseason. Um so, yeah, I, if I had to guess right now, just because Wall is a little bit up in the air, I uh, I would go with Samsonov, I think. Uh, it, it's just because we don't know for sure when Wall will be back. Um, but I do think he'll get the slight majority of the starts from that point on. But I think Samsonov will make up the ground on Jones rather quickly. And then it's just a matter of when Wall gets back. But I could see the two of them splitting the job pretty evenly from there on out. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he passes Wall before he returns. Uh, and then they split it from there on out and, and are pretty close. So I'll, I'll give Samson up in a, in a tight race there. In the preseason, I was all over Joseph Wall as one of my favorite 
uh, late round pick. So I'm not going to shy away from that. I'm going to stick with Joseph Wall. You know, even if he misses another week or so, uh, he's not going to have too, too much ground to make up. And if the early season shows us anything, he's their best option between the pipes. I would imagine that he'll likely be the guy to see more starts down the line. Uh, obviously, if Samsonov continues to play, I, I tweeted it out yesterday. I think he had a 7, like 94, 784 save percentage in his previous four starts and then has like a 944 save percentage in his last three starts. It's just hilarious how voodoo goalies are. And uh, this run that Samsonov's been on is absolutely hilarious. But yeah, Wolves got a, what is it, a one win head start to begin with. So I, I don't think Martin Jones is going to factor in too, too much once both these guys are healthy, especially if Samsonov's playing well. Uh, so I'll give the edge to Joseph Wall, and I still think there might be a little buy low window here before he gets back between the pipes for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oof, had to uh, had to do this one, but um, I will say I do think that it would honestly be Joseph Wall if we had a timetable for his return. Right now, though, it's, it's it's just too much of a question mark, and the Leafs need wins now. The season's closing in on them. Teams like Brock's Detroit are just a few points behind them, five, I believe, as of today. Um, but for me, it's going to be Sam Sonov, which is kind of crazy that I'm pulling this out. I think the Martin Jones show is done. Might get a few starts here and there, but Sam Sonov is the guy that they need if they're going to go to the playoffs. And at least, well, Wool is... Uh, is, is unhealthy, and, and if they can get Wolf for the playoffs, that's fantastic, but we're talking regular season wins here, and although when Wolf comes back, he will and should lead this team and win. Sam Sonov's going to have to do the job for the time being. I'm, it, it's a two-game stretch, but I think that you know they fix something here. He's going to want to prove he can do this. He's trying to earn himself a contract, even though it's not in Toronto, so I will go Sam Sonov. I don't think that something destroys itself that quick. You know, It, it was one Two bad months. He is a good goalie, though. So give me Samsonov just because of Wool's health in general. Um, but, hey, all three goalies might end up with 14 to 18 wins. Moving on, we have some more goalies to talk about. Igor Shesterkin uh, was the number one drafted goalie um, off the boards this preseason. Number two was Elias Rokin. And by and large, both goaltenders have been Fairly disappointing. Um, in standard formats, though, Sorokin still ranks as a top three fantasy netminder right now, where Shesterkin is well outside of the top 12. So uh, the Rangers clearly look to be the better team of the two. You also have the fact that I think Shesterkin lost a lot of his early season stats to Jonathan Quick, who was playing outstanding hockey and picking away at Chesterkin starts. Jonathan Quick's game, unsurprisingly, has fallen off a cliff pretty substantially, and you'd imagine that Chesterkin will likely get a lot more work moving forward, as we've already kind of seen as of late. Jonathan Quick, just to let you know, 0-4-1 with an 884 save percentage in his last five games. So my question is, do you think that Igor Chesterkin will finish the season ranked higher than Ilya Sorokin in standard formats? Buy or sell? Uh, I do. I, I do think Shesterkin will eventually leapfrog him before season's end. And I, it comes back to what I've said many a times on these on this podcast, um, that goaltending stats and, and fantasy hockey, for the most part, they're team stats, right? Especially in category leagues, the gap there is a lot smaller. Uh, in points leagues, Shesterkin has a, a pretty good head start, as you noted, because he's gotten so much more work. But I think another important point to raise here is the fact that Semyon Varlamov is 
back healthy and, and going to be um, battling for some more starts as well. Um, and I, I, I would almost expect Shesterkin now that kind of Quicks game has settled back down a bit and Shesterkin has been more consistent of late, um, you know, was in a really nice stretch for a bit there has kind of fallen back down a little bit, but I, I would expect him to still get uh, the overwhelming majority of the start for the Rangers. Whereas uh, I think Varlamov, I mean, they've showed um, a, a real propensity to get him into the, the crease more than the average backup, even with Sorokin there the last few seasons. It's why I, I generally don't love buying Sorokin in standard formats, given uh, where he tends to go um, in draft season. But yeah, I think Shesterkin, uh, especially in category leagues where, like I said, just it's going to be so heavily influenced by the wins and the goals against average. I think um, Shesterkin will really make up the difference there. In points leagues, it'll probably be a little bit closer just because of the head start uh, in terms of games that they've played and, and the amount, the, the fact that Sorokin is going to probably face more shots on a nightly average as well and, and rack up more um, pure saves. So going to be a little bit tighter in points leagues, maybe give Sorokin the edge there, but I think in category leagues, Shesterkin gets it done. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head almost perfectly that Varlamov was out and the Islanders really didn't have a suitable backup plan and Sorokin started every single game while Varlamov was out. Varlamov hasn't looked exactly sharp tonight, but uh, first game back in a while. Like When you take a look at these two stats, they're pretty baffling. I mean, 317 goals against average, 909 save percentage for Sorokin. And then for Shesterkin, 282 goals against average, 901 save percentage. Shesterkin, 19 wins. And Sorokin, just 14 wins. Like, it's almost surprising when you look at the um, standard formats that Sorokin even ranks that much higher than Shesterkin to begin with. So I think that this battle is actually a lot closer than you would look. Um, just, just for full transparency, at the moment, Sorokin ranks 37th overall and Shesterkin ranks 111th. So that's a pretty sizable gap, and it really seems like it's a lot closer. So I'm going to buy it as well. If you would have asked me preseason, well, we they, we we were asked preseason to rank these two, and I had Shesterkin ahead of Sorokin. I believe you did as well, and I, and I do think that they will finish in that spot, or those spots, I should say. I do think that Igor Shesterkin will beat Ilya Sorokin in this one couple things that go into this one that uh, maybe people aren't looking into but Patrick Wobbing the new coach out in uh, the island he used to coach Simeon Varlamov in his rookie season they had a good bond it was his starter back then Varlamov played quite well so we may see a little inclination to lean on Varlamov a little harder for the rest of the year, which could lead to a couple more starts for Shesterkin, which I truly think can push him above Sorokin as we head into the last half of the year. Also, we are going to look at what I think is one of the biggest bounce-back candidates for the second half. Shesterkin is a known in-there gamer. He's one of Vesna. He's not going to end the year with a 901. That's just not what he does. And he's been getting the wins even while playing very suspect. So if he can have a big bounce back second half, I think we're going to get a lot of the same from Sorokin, but less time now that, you know, Varlamov's buddy is behind the bench. And by buddy, I mean one of the greatest goalies to ever play the game, the greatest Patrick Waugh. Um, so unfortunately, um, but I'm, I'm a Shesterkin believer for this second half for those of you who own Sorokin. But uh, it's uh, it's too bad to see both these guys doing this bad, knowing how much stock was invested in both of them. Next on the docket is Sebastian Ajo, the one from the Carolina Hurricanes, of course. He has always been 
very consistent. I think we've talked about him a lot in, in, you know, we always talk about him on the centers episode and just, he's a nice safe pick. You always kind of know what you're going to get with him. He's going to be around a point per game, 30 plus goals, nothing really out of this world, but he's going to be a solid pick. He's not going to miss too many games and he's going to produce for you on pretty much every given night. This year, however, he has been significantly better. 53 points in 43 games. I think he also has added a couple of points tonight, but we will disregard those at the moment and talk about his 53 points in 43 games. That puts him on pace for 101 points this season. His previous career high was 83 points. So my question to you is, does Sebastian Ajo finish with his first career 100-plus point season? feel like I've been pretty optimistic to this point, but uh, I'm going a, I'm to a fall on the other side here. I, I do think he's going to come up a little bit short. And l- like you said, he's right on pace. He's just flirting with it right now, that 101-point pace. Any sort of absence from the lineup is obviously going to throw that off. But also just the fact that, uh, yes, he's playing uh, fantastic and you know the, uh, probably has a little bit more help around him than we've seen uh, in years past. But just the fact that he has had a 13.4 on-ice shooting percentage to date um, like I said, there's really no wiggle room here. He kind of needs to keep his production right where it's been uh, to get to that 100-point mark. And uh, I just think it's going to be a little bit difficult. I, I think that falls off a little bit more to the 10-11% um, that we're more used to seeing out of Aho and just a more league standard rate for a, a top-line centerman. So I think that 13.4%, it's going to just be a little bit too difficult to maintain from here on out. I think that falls off a little bit. Uh, and like I said, any sort of injury as well, obviously, would be enough to really throw off the pace. So uh, I think he gets close, but I, I would bet that he finishes somewhere in the low 90s uh, and, and falls a little bit short of that triple-digit mark. I think this is our first disagreement. I will buy it, and the reason I do is, yes, I do think that the on-ice shooting percentage is a little bit high, but the personal shooting percentage is actually quite a bit lower than uh, his career average. Currently shooting 12.5%, 14.8 career shooters. So I think there's some... A positive regression that could happen in that area. But I think the main factor is that Andrei Svechnikov obviously missed a lot of time, didn't really look like himself, and he's been back, and they've played together a lot since Svechnikov's been back in the lineup. And the numbers for the two are much better together than apart. So I'm going to buy in the fact that I do think having Svechnikov back here for the second half of the season, especially a healthy Svechnikov, should prove to... Uh, help Aho and hopefully maintain that fairly high on a shooting percentage. Again, similar to Matt Kachuk, uh, I do think that this one will be close. If you bet over 100 points on Sebastian Aho, probably, first of all, got a very nice payout on that. But also, uh, I think it's going to come down to the absolute wire here. This next one is very intriguing. Sidney Crosby scores 50-plus goals for the first time since 2010. Unbelievable that we're even talking about this. Um, since he was your bus preseason, let's not forget. I will go first on this one. I will say that Crosby gets there. I think maybe I'm just too optimistic. The shooting percentage is high, 16.8%. He's a 14.6% shooter. But without Crosby, the Penguins really are like Crosby and Gensel are carrying this team right now. And if he doesn't get there, they're probably not making the playoffs. So I'm going to say Sidney Crosby continues to put the Penguins on his back and drags them to the playoffs with a 50-plus goal season. And honestly, if it weren't for what 
Matthews and Kucherov and McKinnon are doing, Sidney Crosby, if he gets this Penguins team into the playoffs, probably deserves a little bit of heart consideration. He isn't going to get it um, because, you know, if, if, if McKinnon gets 140 plus points or, or Matthews scores 70 goals, like we think they could, then he's just got no shot. But you've got that ticket still. So, I, I mean, there's, there's he should get some consideration. He's just probably not going to. I'm going to buy that he's going to uh, because he's just going to drag this in the playoffs. It's what Sidney Crosby does. It's 36. I think it's a great story. And, yeah, maybe I'll just buy every single one of these. I'm not sure. Fair. I'm going to pass here. Um, and it's not me just trying to fall in line with my preseason prediction error. Obviously, uh, I mean, I don't think it was that bad in hindsight. Either. I mean, he's got 48 points in 44 games, uh, and he was going in the middle of the second round. So uh, I'm not going to totally step back. It was obviously most of the ADP that was turning me off. But, uh, you know, he's returned value there. He, he hasn't been a home run at that at that slot, I would say. But he certainly returned value uh, at where he was going. So, yes, I was wrong. But, no, I don't think he gets there. I mean, he's got 23 goals to go across 38 games. That's 0.6 goals per game. He's only ever scored that across a full season once. And it came back in 2009-10 when he was just 22 years old. And that was his career high of 51 goals. He's only ever scored 50 once. And that was the only time that he's done it. So uh, yeah, I just think it's, it's too big of a mountain to climb for Sid. I I love what he's doing this year, despite the fact that I did think the draft price was a, a little bit too rich. Um, for my liking and you know the shot volume has improved which is nice I, I think he easily clears 40 but uh, I mean I, I think he would have to have uh, you know a, a couple ridiculous uh, odd streaks in there to, to really push himself over that edge because traditionally speaking he just doesn't score goals at that rate it is worth mentioning he's been especially hot as of late 12 goals in his last 17 games he's had to shoot 20.7 percent to do that but that would put him on pace for 26 goals through the remainder of the season and get him to, sorry, 27 goals to get him to 54. So they might have a little bit of wiggle room either that shooting percentage comes down a little bit. I just think it would be an incredible story to see Sidney Crosby uh, score 50 at the age 36. You know, it, it, it is worth mentioning that it, it, it's pretty wild that his assist totals are as down as much as they are. I guess that's what happens when the shot volume increase, as, increases as drastically as it has. Um, it will also be interesting, I think, one thing to note if you are, are planning on putting any money down on Sidney Crosby reaching 50 goals is Jake Gensel could be traded, and I don't think that that will help Sidney Crosby very much. That two, Those two have been uh, absolutely dynamic together, not just this year but in years past, and that would certainly hurt Crosby's chances moving forward. Yeah, I do think the main thing for the assist totals, too, just comes down to the power play production. They have the second worst mm-hmm. power play percentage in the league, 13.3%. He somehow has just four power play assists. Uh, that's the main difference there for sure, along with, like you said, the extra shot play. Sid, I love you. I'm, you know, 87, wicked. But I do not think that he reaches 50 this year, fellas. Mostly for the same reasons you guys are going after here. On pace currently for just at 50, and that's while shooting 16.8%. The highest total we have seen since 2016-17, and a total that he's only done in two years of his historic career. So for Sid to do so to hit 50, he's going to have to continue to have an incredible half like he has in the first. Uh, Very possible. We're talking about one of the greatest ever. It's just if there is any, and and, and I feel bad repeating this because I said it for Tuchuk, but if there's any bump in the road, that puts... That, that, that'll stop it. Um, with that said, you know, hot streaks do happen, but hot streaks had to happen to get us here. Um, 
And if anything cold happens, if that power play somehow is worse than it is, anyone gets traded, this could be bad for Sid and and not bad, just bad for his quest for 50, which, um, I mean, the guy hasn't scored 50 since 09-10. So it, uh, that would be incredible to see. Either way, we're going to see one of his top goal-scoring produ- production seasons in the last little bit, and it's just great to see Sid back. But 50 for me is just too tall of a task. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I just talked about Jake Gensel potentially being traded uh, at the trade deadline. Another name that is surfaced, he's actually number one on Frank Saravalli's uh, trade target board. You can find that over at dailyfaceoff.com. And that's Elias Lindholm of the Calgary Flames. Lindholm, obviously wildly productive uh, during his time with Johnny Gaudreau and Matt Kachuk. However, that has not really been the case so far this year. Just 31 points in 47 games. So my question to you is, does Elias Lindholm get traded to a contender at the deadline and potentially become fantasy relevant again? Is he somebody that might hit the wires before the wire? Is he some, or before the deadline or somebody that you could maybe buy really low on before the deadline that might get moved to a contender and become fantasy relevant again? Now, yeah. we do always caution with these players that it always depends which situation you go into and it doesn't always get better, especially if you're going to a better team, you might not be getting the same top line minutes that you're getting in Calgary. But yeah, buying or selling. Uh, I'm in, I, I think there's a couple of potential spots that he could fit into where, um, you know, it, it really could be a boost and uh, you know, Calgary isn't super deep on the wing this season. Uh, I think most of the strength comes from, the center ice position to, to be honest with you and going three deep with Lindholm, um, Kadri and, and, and Backland and Blake Coleman has probably been their best winger, him and Sharon Govich and Coleman's obviously stapled to the hip of Backland and Huberto's had his struggles. So I, I do think it's, it's not too far fetched that Lindholm will end up in a better spot. We know he can be productive when he's surrounded with good offensive players that 
are going to create scoring chances at a, at a pretty good clip. Uh, I just think he needs a little bit of help getting in and out of the zone sometimes and sometimes has a tendency just to get trapped in his own zone a little bit uh, and isn't quite that number one play driving center that um, was maybe kind of looked at being when he had some pretty fantastic help on his wings and the likes of Johnny Goodrow, Matthew Kuchuk, even Tyler Toffoli. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's a few spots. And you look at, uh, uh, namely, I think Vegas, potentially Vancouver, even in that second line role. Uh, could potentially work out really nicely. So, um, yeah, I think there's a, a couple of spots where he could end up, and uh, Boston's probably another one where uh, he could potentially uh, look into himself and have a lot more upside than what he currently does uh, around him in Calgary. Yeah, I think you're right in the fact that there's more center-needy teams this year than there has been in the past. Uh, I, I don't know where exactly he would fit into that Vancouver lineup. It, it would be interesting to see what they would do there. Um, if they put the lotto line back together and he's in the middle of the second line with Kuzmenko or somebody, but yeah, Vegas, obviously you can land with March. So, I mean, Boston would probably be the ideal spot could end up on the top line with Pashanak and really take off. Uh, they've been moving coil and Zach in and out and trying to fix Morgan geeky for a period of time, really trying to find a, a concrete answer. Um, I doubt the Red Wings are going to be a huge buyer at the deadline, but like, does he end up in Detroit as a as a center between Patrick Kane and Alex Brinkat? Like, there's a lot of options to where he could find himself in a better spot. Um, I don't know if I'm really interested in moving assets for him uh, as a buy low candidate because it's not a guarantee. Uh, maybe a little bit closer to the deadline if there's some obvious candidates becoming available that you know okay this is a definite spot where he could go and in his stock could improve i would be more interested then but i do think that this is something that could happen and elias lindholm if he's hitting the waiver wire uh might be somebody worth a speculative pickup because he's not been terrible he's not gonna be a total anchor but his own percentage i think is down uh, around 65 percent at the moment so it, it, it continues to drop and i do think that he's somebody that's gonna be available closer to the deadline as well if he continues to struggle yeah, I really like this Elias Lindholm one, mostly because a lot of the rumors have him going to Colorado, which would be a dream come true. Personally, uh, I think his career needs a bit of a resurgence, which who doesn't when they head to Calgary. But uh, one thing he has going for him, which we've seen with other players in previous seasons, is Lindholm can slide onto the wing as well as play center, which I think could bode well for him getting into a top six of a team that he's traded to. A lot of times our biggest issue with the trade deadline is guys get traded to good teams. They can't find a spot if stuff's already rolling and they get put in you know, a, a different role where they, we, they don't see as much action. But realistically, if this guy can get in there in a decent top six on a decent line, even if it's not Colorado per se, but if it's any of these contenders, he scored 42 and 40 just two years ago with 235 shots. He should be a great complimentary role player. It'll be interesting to see where he goes, but definitely someone that's worth taking a risk on. Even in his quote-unquote down year, he's still on pace for around 55, 60 points, which is bottom of our roster stuff, especially with this low goal scoring potential. But, you know, go to the right place, get a little bit of resurgence, head away from the negative 45 cold that they have out there. Um, that's an over-exaggeration. Regardless, they'll get him somewhere that he is happy and we can see a resurgence here. But um, it's uh, it's definitely one of the guys I would want to take a risk on close to the deadline, I think, and uh, there's no reason why he shouldn't be moved this year. Next, maybe the bust of the year. We've talked about busts a little bit. You know, Timo Meyer comes to, to, to mind right away, but Tage Thompson's been 
a very disappointing. We talked about him in the preseason. He was going at the 12-13 turn. So if you're in a 12-team standard league and you, you know, you're basically staring at like Jack Hughes and Tage Thompson, you might have had to make the decision on one of them. You might have got both of them and been be in real trouble right now with Jack Hughes out and Tage Thompson doing basically nothing. Uh Tage Thompson currently sitting at 28 points, 14 goals, 14 assists through 38 games. So my question to you is does Tage Thompson finish the season with over a point per game. As I just mentioned, he's under uh, 10 points under at the moment. Uh, I've been putting it on your plate a lot here to go first. So I'll, I'll, I'll take away the the reins here and, and give you a breather. I'm going to go. No, I'm going to sell this one. I think this is the first sell of the day for me. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously the, the numbers have not been very good for Tage Thompson throughout the year. Uh, but especially as of late, just not, nothing seems to be going right. He has no goals and just one assist in his last six games. So, um, it, you know, things seem to be getting worse before they get better. Uh, the Sabres seem to be scrambling a little bit, like they're shuffling their lineup around like crazy. We're seeing Zemgis Gergensen's getting top six minutes some nights. They're just searching for answers right now. And Tage Thompson just doesn't seem to have the magic in, that we've seen from him a season ago. Uh, has missed some time due to injuries. Don't know if anything's kind of lingering. Um, you know, the shooting percentage the last two seasons north of 15%, you know, it's a lot to ask to continue to maintain that down to 11% this year. You know, I think the on-ice shooting percentage at 9.5% can certainly come back up. We talked about Skinner and Tuck being hurt and Tage Thompson being hurt, and, that you know, maybe they're all going to turn it around now that they're healthy. It hasn't really happened. Skinner just came back. So maybe there's room and enough runway for him to get back over a point per game, but I just don't see it being 10 points uh, to the bad at the moment. Yeah, I think it's just too much ground for him to make up. And, um, you know, he's always going to be a shoot first guy. I think the goal scoring certainly improves and um, falls closer in line to what we saw out of him over the last couple of seasons. And that's where I would really expect a lot of improvement. But I think it's going to be tough for him to rack up the kind of assists that he needs for all the issues that you mentioned um, to, to really make up that ground. I mean, to your point, Kyle Ocposo started the game on the first line last night. So, uh, yeah, just not a ton of help around him and on top of obviously his own struggles and um, doesn't quite play as much minutes as, as some of the other big guns in the league where um, he's really going to get all the opportunity he needs to make up that kind of ground. So like I said, I think the goal scoring improves and I, I, I'm happy to bet on the talent in Tage Thompson. And I, I certainly think the second half of the season is going to be a, a lot more productive than what we've seen out of him to date. But I, I do agree with you that I think it's too big of a mountain to climb at this point to get back around a, a, to a full point per game. But I, I think the goal scoring takes a big step up. Fellas, this one sucks to see. Love me some Tage Thompson. It was great to see what he did last year. But I just I, I do not think it can happen. Only 13 points in his last 15 games. It's not even like he's absolutely cooking right now. And that's kind of like his hottest stretch of the year. For him to get to a point per game, he would have to put up 10 more points than he has games. And just the way things are going in Buffalo right now, I, I, I don't love it this year. The ice time's not there. He hasn't eclipsed 20 minutes in nearly 13, 14, it's, it's like 15 games now. So that is not great for signs of wanting to, you know, it could be good for a point per game if you're getting 19 minutes, but it's only averaging 17.36 across his last 14. It's, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's going to take a lot. He's going to have to go on an incredible hot streak. And unfortunately, to get over that point per game, I just don't see it happening. You know, a 82-game season, I see him at like a 70-point 
75 point pace this year so it would take a massive hot stretch here so sorry tage this year i don't see you getting a point per game this year i see you letting a lot of fantasy owners down next year i'm probably going to jump on your train because probably a buy low you know buy low but his stock will definitely be lower than it should be Next on the list, and this one's exciting for a couple of reasons. One, we got a rookie to talk about. Two, his name's Brock, which is great. Great first name for the kid. Brock Faber. Uh, this is kind of a double dip or triple dip question, whichever way you want to look at it. I've got a couple of options. First of all, Brock Faber will finish with double-digit goals. True or false, buy or sell. Brock Faber will finish with 50-plus points, buy or sell. So will he finish with one, both, neither, which one will he finish with? Lots of possibilities here with Brock Faber. Just to give you his current stat line, bring the listeners up to date, coming into Thursday. So if he does anything tonight, this will not be included. Uh, coming into tonight, four goals, 24 assists, 48 points in 47 games. He has been especially hot as of late. Um, and then obviously the news of Jared Spurgeon being out for the year is certainly going to help him maintain his spot on the top power play unit. Uh, barring a trade, obviously. Uh, but in his last 10 games, Brock Faber comes in with 12 points, two goals, 10 assists during that time. So where do you land over 10 goals, over 50 points for Brock Faber? Uh, I think he's going to get closer to 50 points than he is 10 goals. The shot volume just isn't quite there yet. I, I think this is such a bright piece, both for obviously the wild, uh, but in fantasy for the future as well. I, I think this is a guy who's... Uh, obviously done everything they could have asked for and from a fantasy perspective to get this kind of value off the waiver wire. Hopefully you've been listening to the show the last uh, month or so, just how much we've been banging this guy's drum. But yeah, he's, he's been phenomenal, but I do think it's going to continue to just be a lot more uh, assist heavy. I think the six goals, um, even if you look at, you know, the stretch that he's been on lately where he's been, you know, I think over the last 15 games or so, he's still only just above two shots a game and it would require him to shoot around 11, 12% the rest of the way to get, to those 10 goals. So I, I think that's just a bit too high of a stretch, but Capra's uh, off back and seemingly being back to his full form, I, I think is going to go a hell of a long way with Faber having that spot on the top powerful unit locked down now with Jared Spurgeon out for the rest of the year. So I do think he's going to continue to rack up the assists and that's going to get him pretty darn close to 50 points. Um, if I had to guess, I would say he falls just shy of both uh, just because of the slow start he had and the usage at the start of the year, not being, quite what it is right now but I, I think the rest of the season he's going to continue to be uh, a really valuable piece on your on the back end for your fantasy teams yeah I, I mean this doesn't seem like anything new for me but I'm gonna buy it um if, if you take a look further back like obviously the slow start was mainly due to the fact that they were healthy and he wasn't playing as much um, but he's been really good since basically the beginning of December 20 points in his last 26 games. Uh, if you extrapolate that over the remaining, I think, 35 games, it would put him at 26 or 27 points, which would get him there uh, up to 55 points on the year. So I will buy that he's going to be over 50 points, but I'm going to sell that he's going to get to 10 goals. Um, yeah, just doesn't shoot enough. Not, not really his thing. Uh, but yeah, I'll buy that he's going to get over 50 points. I think that it's certainly doable. And boy, what a waiver wire addition. And not only that, what a pickup by the Minnesota Wild. In case you uh, didn't or don't know, he was acquired as a part of the Kevin Fiala trade that sent Fiala to the LA Kings. So 
Uh, Brock Faber, 21 years of age, playing absolutely gargantuan minutes, 26, 27, 30 minutes some nights, just insane. That usage alone should certainly help him uh, continue to rack up points. And yeah, the Wild certainly look a little bit better as of late, and a healthy Kirill Kaprizov never hurts. I unfortunately need to pump a bit of brakes on the, the Brock Faber hype. I love what he's doing. It's beautiful to see someone contending with Connor Batard for the Calder, um, even though it took an injury. But I do not see him reaching at least a 10-goal plateau. And you guys know I love to look back at guys' junior years, which is always not fair to them sometimes. But for Brock Faber, he never scored more than four goals on any team since he was 15 years old. So we're, we're talking about a couple uh, NCAA seasons here, three to be exact, you know, 30, 40 game seasons, but still he only averaged about three goals across those seasons. Not about. He averaged three goals across those three seasons. And it, it, it doesn't say anything against Brock Faber. It's just he is not a goal-scoring defenseman. He's proven that at every level. So there's no reason why I see him taking that huge of a step forward this year. He's focusing on a lot of other things, such as eating 38 minutes a night. But the 50 points, I do not I see him falling a little bit short of that as well. I can see him at 45 to 48 range, which is fantastic. You never thought you were going to get that out of him. He's been sensational. You should definitely add him now. And even if he does get there, I mean, that that's still a pretty decent stretch for your team. Um, it's just, you know, he's he, he's already playing out of his league as far as points go per, per year. And, yeah, you look into the junior stuff, and you don't want to look too far into it. But if he's never proven to be an elite point producer throughout his career at any level, there's no reason why I, I, I think that he's going to take this magical step. Um, he's He's... Got getting the points he has now because he's just out there so much. So, with that said, um, I think it's it's just going to continue to be a lot of the same with Brock Faber. It's going to be a great year, and he's going to flirt around fifty, but he won't do the ten. I'm expecting seven and forty-eight. Put that one down. Last but not least, this one's pretty spicy. But shout out to Beebs. He was the one that pointed this out on Twitter the other day. Igor Sharangovich is up to thirty-four. Uh, points on the season he has uh 20 goals 14 assists 34 points in 47 games you know who else has 34 points in 46 games that would be john Tavares. 12 goals 22 assists for 40 34 points in 46 games you know i remember in the preseason I was doing everything I could to bump John Tavares down in my rankings. It just felt too high. Uh, I based my rankings on my projections, and it's a little bit of wiggle room, but I was having a hard time bumping him down. The projections just kept kind of coming up that he was still going to be pretty solid in this really talented Leafs offensive lineup. And I wish I would have bumped him down further. I hope I bumped him down far enough to where he was under ADP that none of the people that use the DFO uh, draft kit or my rankings ended up with much John Tavares on their teams. Um, that being said, I, I still think that John Tavares probably finishes with more points than Igor Sharangovich, which is our buy or sell question. Igor Sharangovich will finish with more points than John Tavares. I will go to Tavares on this. Uh, I think one of the main factors is we just talked about Elias Lindholm potentially getting moved at the deadline. That has been the 
uh, center for the majority of the season for Igor Sharangovich and a big reason for this breakout season from him. So if Lindholm does get moved at the deadline, that is a big, big loss for Sharangovich. You know, maybe he ends up with Kadri, but I, I just don't know if he's going to be able to maintain this level of production. And yeah, Tavares certainly has not been great, uh, but you know, you can certainly expect the Maple Leafs offense, particularly their power play, uh, to continue to hum and, and, and help him out. And I think the only reason we're even talking about these two next to each other is the fact that John Tavares has gone pointless in his last nine games. I don't know this. Like, would you say like, without looking at it, that's the first time he's ever gone nine straight games at a point in his career. Like it's gotta be at least close. Yeah. You would think it's certainly uh, not the norm for a guy that's uh, you know, pretty close to being a point per game across his whole career. Uh, but I'm with you. Yeah, I'm going to take, the, obviously, a uh, little bit of bias there as well. But uh, I, I'm also a big Sharon Govich guy. I love Igor, and I loved him coming out of New Jersey and um, was super impressed with some of the production he was able to put up and really a sheltered bottom six role across his years with the Devils. Thought he was deserving more ice time and really just like that trade for both sides um, coming out of it. And I, I, I don't think either of them would be too upset. Maybe the Devils could have wished they caught it. A little bit more out of Shango, which maybe they didn't have to throw in the draft pick as well. But I still think Toffoli is a better fit uh, for that team right now. And Sharon Govich is a guy that can really continue to grow uh, in Calgary's top six. But um, the question at hand, yeah, I mean, one of these guys is shooting 19%. The other one's shooting 7%. Uh, yeah, and obviously this wouldn't have even been a conversation prior to Tavares's nine-game point, point drought. Uh, you can't just write that off. It's happened. It's, it's part of the season for sure. But certainly some bad puck luck. Anyone that's watched the games is would tell you that as well. And um, I would expect Tavares to get back and certainly back to scoring goals, just the amount that he's been shooting the puck this year sooner than later. Uh, and yeah, to your point, I think the potential of losing Lindholm uh, could go or could be pretty devastating for Sharon Govich's production as well, especially um, if they don't really switch those other two lines up around it as a result and maybe try to find other solutions for Sharon Govich. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there if Lindholm does get dealt. Um, whether or not, you know, maybe Kadri moves up and he's playing with Kadri or um, Backlund plays even more minutes with Coleman and the season Coleman the Jordan. Maybe that helps Sharon Govich a little bit. Um, just see some more offensive zone time at 5v5. But I still think uh, I, I think we've got to be true to true to ourselves here and the approach that we've taken on this podcast over the years to, to not bet on the guy that's shooting 7% um, to really bounce back and the guy that's shooting 19% to fall off a little bit. Uh, just would be too disingenuous for us. So I, I'm with you. I think Tavares uh, squeezes this one out, but the fact that it's uh, even close is a little bit disappointing as a Leafs fan, to say the least. Yeah, I, just to kind of put it into perspective, Sharon Govich obviously wasn't on any fantasy radars coming into the season, went undrafted, where John Tavares was picked up on ADP 37.8. So um, pretty wild. Uh, we talked about Tate Thompson being a bust. John Tavares certainly hurt in fantasy teams quite a bit in that early, uh, late third, early fourth round. Igor's my guy in all aspects. Um, but I have to give this one to John Tavares, surprisingly. I really didn't want to. I wanted to give it to the 25-year-old stud out in Calgary. But we talked about it with Elias Lindholm. There might be some trades in Calgary, and when that happens, the team around you starts to crumble a little bit. You can have some young players come in. We've already seen them bring in a, lot, a couple young players out in Calgary, wave a few guys. Everyone gets claimed if they get waved in Calgary. It's a new rule. Um, but when that happens, usually the talent around you can kind of hurt your production, and that's kind of the opposite of John Tavares. He has proven, even though he's been 
absolutely horrendous in this last little bit. We haven't seen a point in, in what is it now, 10 games. Even though we haven't seen that happen, it just goes to show the production that he did have before this little cold stretch to be tied with Sharangovich in points while having this cold stretch where Sharangovich is kind of having the opposite, where he's on a heater. Um, the question is points too. It's not goals. I do think Sharangovich will beat Tavares in goals this year, has the eight-goal cushion as we speak. Duh. But when it comes down to it, Tavares has two less games played than Sharon Govich. Same amount of points is surrounded by just a way, way, way better cast. So I expect a little bit of free points in that regard. As much as, uh, as you know, people want to say it, John Tavares is not fully washed. I wouldn't even say he's that washed. Um, he's just surrounded by an incredibly strong cast. And he's... Still had 80 points in 80 games last year, 76 and 79 the year before. We're talking about a point-per-game guy. I don't know if we can believe that yet with Sharon Govich. And it would be wrong to, you know, go against a superstar who's been there, done that for so long for a guy who is on a recent heater, um, even if it is our boy Yegor. So, so um, this one I'm saying Tavares, I think it is a very tight race, but... At the end of the day, you grab Sharon Govich off waivers, you drafted Tavares relatively high. So even if Sharon Govich is only a couple points behind, you are jumping with joy. That is a fantastic season. And he's been being compared to John Tavares, one of the league's better goal scorers. So it's uh it's tight, but give me JT for now, at least for this year. Maybe next year will be different. That is gonna do it for buy or sell. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, what I know you will absolutely enjoy is D's weekend streamers. So D, take it away. Thank you, sir. I'm ready to go this time. No stalling necessary. Uh, let's get right into. Let it, it be known we're great up. at that. We're great at yeah. that. If we if we have to fill a gap, we can. I can drag out words with the best of them. Proud of you, uh, and I appreciate it. But uh, yeah, we'll get into it. We got four games on Friday, fourteen on Saturday, two on Sunday. Um, just three teams playing the Friday, Sunday this week, uh, which actually isn't bad considering we just have the two games on Sunday. So three of those four teams are going to be playing on uh, Friday. The other team is going to be the lone team with the Saturday, Sunday back-to-back. And we'll get into that when we talk about the very few goalie options that are out there uh, for potential Sunday spot start. But kicking us off with the Friday, Sunday schedule uh, is the Los Angeles Kings. They are in Colorado on Friday, in St. Louis on Sunday. So you get a really tough matchup on Friday and a bit of a cushier one on Sunday there in St. Louis. Um, not a lot of deep league options here, I would say, on the Kings. A lot of their, uh, or most of their top six is, is pretty well-owned. But uh, in shallower leagues, or I, I would I would guess even in standard 12-team leagues, well, at least one of these guys is going to be available on your wire. The one thing working against this is the fact that um, the Kings, I believe, have been playing light nights all week. I think they were Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday this week. So their own percentages have already shot up a bit and uh, aren't quite as available as they would have been coming into the week. But Quinton Byfield has actually dropped off down to 43% owned. Uh, remains on the first line, though, with Kopitar and Kempe, first power play unit as well. He's heating back up of late. He's got two goals, two assists in his last three games, eight shots on goal over that span, back over 16 minutes at nice time. Certainly has as much upside as anyone that we'll talk about here, but obviously not as widely available at 43% owned. Um, Pierre-Luc Dubois, I'm actually going to skip over. I just thought he deserved to mention <laughs> just because uh, of how bad the situation is for him right now. Obviously, I liked him coming into the season. Thought he would just command so much more of a role than he has, but relegated to being their third-line center right now, just on the second power play unit. Uh, and it's going to be hard for him to break the cold streak with that kind of usage, just one point in his last five games. So 40% owned for PLD. I'm, I'm looking elsewhere heading into this weekend. But Philip Deneau, 27% owned. 
Um, straight center eligible. He's pointless in his last four. He's red hot before that. He had eight points in his previous six games. I like his odds of getting back on the score sheet given the minutes. He's over 20 minutes in four of his last six games. Uh, in a nice spot at 5v5, centering Trevor Moore and Kevin Fiala. We know Dino is one of the most underrated play drivers in the league, so should be plenty of scoring chances coming their way, particularly in that matchup with the Blues on Sunday. Uh, second power play unit as well for Dino. And then moving on, we got the Kraken. They are hosting the Blues on Friday and then hosting the Blue Jackets on Sunday. So really nice pair of matchups here for the Kraken. They had a really nice schedule all week. So again, some of these guys are a little bit higher owned than they would have been elsewhere, otherwise because they've already been playing on uh, started with the late schedule on Wednesday, I believe it was, when they were facing the Blackhawks. Uh, but Jordan Everly, 27% owned, right wing eligible. Currently on the top line with Jared McCann and Thomas Tatar, skating on the first power play unit as well. On a nice little heater, two, three goals, four assists in his last six games. So Jordan Everly, one of my favorite pickups this weekend, given the usage, given the matchups, if he is available and available in over 70% of leagues right now. Uh, and then just a ton of solid options for deeper leagues here. Uh, I'll just rattle them off. Jaden Schwartz, Andre Burakovsky, Alex Wenberg, and even Tom Sitar, I think all viable options for me this weekend, considering the matchups, all available in over 90% of leagues, save for Schwartz, who's currently 12% owned. If I had to rank them, I, I would go Burakovsky. I think he's in a really nice spot and should just continue to see more minutes there. Uh, and then Tatar, with him being on that top line, uh, Schwartz and Wenberg closing it out. If you're uh, looking for assists in particular, Alex Wenberg uh, does favor himself. Uh, a helper or two so yeah i think all those guys have a good chance of getting on the score sheet this weekend given the matchups and like i said pretty widely available uh and then finally we got the blues who as you might have pieced together are in seattle on friday in los angeles on sunday not a ton of great options here in st louis but Braden shen is still just 39 percent owned despite the bit of a heater that he's been on um if he is available like i said that ownership's been climbing but still uh Still available in just over 60% of leagues. Four goals, four assists in his last eight games. Playing big-time minutes. Centering the second line is on the first power play unit, though. Uh, and then one final name I want to throw out for the skaters is Jake Neighbors, uh, who got some love earlier in the season when he was seeing some more minutes on the top line. Uh, usage has really dropped off since we last talked about him. But uh, back on the second line now, 6% owned, left wing, right wing eligible. Uh, on that second line, like I said, with Shen and the second power play unit, just four assists on the year for neighbors. So uh, that's going to obviously hurt the potential upside in terms of overall points. Uh, but he is still a solid goal threat, three goals in his last six games. And I think he's a decent bet in deeper leagues to add to your goal totals this weekend. Uh, and then in goal, like I, like I alluded to earlier, we have just a single team playing the Saturday, Sunday, back to back. Again, if you've been following along, you've probably been able to deduce that that's the Columbus Blue Jackets. They do draw the Kraken on Sunday, which isn't the worst matchup in the world. Uh, but obviously they'll be playing on the tail end of the back-to-back, -back, traveling to Seattle. Seattle will be rested, so uh, it's it's not fantastic by any means. And uh, make no mistake, this is nothing more than a desperation start considering Danil Tarasov will likely be the only starting netminder available in your free agency pool. Tarasov is starting tonight against the Flames, uh, which all but guarantees that Elvis will be back between the pipes on Saturday, leaving Tarasov again to rotate back in on Sunday. Uh, Tarasov owns an 875 save percentage on the season. Uh, so yeah, it's not pretty. It's going to be a super outside chance at winning at best, but it could very well be your only option this weekend. If you do need a boost in goal come Sunday, if you got nothing to lose. So just keep that in mind, uh, as desperate as it is, you might want to stash it ahead of time, because if he is the only starting goalie available in your league, someone's going to be desperate enough to pick him up. So if you got room on Saturday, just keep that one in mind. The other name that I think is potentially worth mentioning and, and stashing ahead of time, if you have the acquisitions to burn 
is Philip Grubauer, 14% owned, activated off IR with a lower body injury earlier this week. Joey Decord is not going to give up that starting job anytime soon. Not only has he been playing out of his skull, but obviously Grubauer has just struggled as a whole during his time in Seattle. They've been, I think, waiting for someone else to take the reins. So, yeah, you never like to see a guy lose the job to injury, but I think this is very much deserved on both parts. I do still think they're going to look to get Grubauer a start sooner than later, considering he's been out since December 9th. Uh, so I'd much rather take the Seattle side of that matchup if possible on Sunday. Again, Grubauer is just 14% owned, uh, so he could be worth stashing ahead of time heading into Sunday given the upside. Not sure if we'll get any indication over the weekend uh, in terms of whether it be Decord. Obviously, if Grubauer goes on Friday, then it would almost certainly mean Decord's in on Sunday, but would not be shocked if Grubauer gets one of those two games this weekend. No, he definitely should get some some look. And, and just going back, uh, I didn't want to interrupt you, but going back to the Kings for a second, like Dubois even got bumped up to that top line to try to maybe get him sparked and get him going, and it didn't work. He played two games there, and uh, Byfield was moved right back up. Byfield clearly the better option this weekend for sure. Uh, Dubois struggled. He's getting called out by Todd McClellan. That trade is looking absolutely horrendous. And uh, yeah, would much rather have Gabe Velarde at this point in time than Pierre-Luc Dubois and boy, did they give up a lot and, and he's got plenty of contract left there. Uh, so yeah, those were D's weekend streamers. Now let's just take a quick look at the Betway bets of the day. And we're a hockey podcast, but I'm very excited for football this weekend. So let's take a look ahead at the football weekend. You got the AFC and the NFC conference championships. And I've got a couple of bets, uh, one from each game. I'm going to go with the under 44 and a half in the Kansas City Chiefs Baltimore Ravens games. Just two very, very good defenses going head to head. Two very good offenses as well. But in the playoffs, I do think that the uh, the defenses will reign supreme. So I'm going to take the under 44 and a half at minus 110 on Betway. And then in the other game, you know, I'm going with the Detroit Lions. I just think on the money line, you know, there's seven point dogs. You might as well take a swing on the money line. They're plus 275. I think the Lions are getting a, you know, a little bit discredited there. Uh, Debo Samuel could be out for the San Francisco 49ers. I think that the Lions have just as many weapons as the 49ers do on offense and have been one of the best run defenses in the league. Obviously, they throw the ball to Christian McCaffrey a lot, but uh, they can take McCaffrey out, hopefully a little bit out of the running game and, and stifle that, make Brock Purdy throw. And D, you're a Packers fan. You watched all of last week's game. Brock Purdy did not look particularly sharp um, in that game. The, the Packers nearly pulled it out, and, and we almost had our Packers-Lions Conference Championship in Detroit like we we, we thought was going to happen. Thanks for bringing that up. Appreciate it. Uh, no, no, I didn't think I could have possibly been uh, really heartbroken going into that game, but really felt like a game that the Packers should have won. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you. I, I was surprised at the line because, I you know, it's almost like they didn't adjust that at all based off San Fran's performance last weekend, which, you know, they haven't really looked like themselves since before that uh, Christmas game against the Ravens when they took a real beatdown. So, uh, yeah, they haven't really been the mighty 49ers that we've seen early in the season in, in a good month plus. Uh, so, yeah, like, again, they were 10-point favorites against the Packers. I would think that the Lions are about a, you know, three-point better uh, in terms of the uh, in terms of the spread in, in the eyes of Vegas. So it really doesn't seem like any adjustment was made there at all. So I'm with you. If not the money line, I, I think that's maybe – a little bit dicey, but I, I do like the, the Lions' odds of at least keeping this close because the Niners just don't seem to quite be the same team, same dominant force that they were earlier in the season. That defense is for real, though, man. Just having um, those two linebackers in the middle of the field is going to make Jared Goff's job pretty difficult, I think. Yeah, if you want to take the Lions on the spread, they're currently plus 7.5, minus 110. Uh, getting a full touchdown in a playoff game is pretty rare, and uh, I'm just hoping the money line 
hits because that means we're going to the Super Bowl, which is absolutely crazy to say. <laughs> uh, but yeah, plus seven and a half would be not too shabby either. And then, uh, I, you know, you got to think that, you know, there's so many rumors about how the, the, the NFL is scripted and wants the Chiefs in the Super Bowl for Taylor Swift. Chiefs money line plus 165 isn't the worst uh, idea either. And and Patrick Mahomes certainly um, a, a proven winner and gets the job done in big games. I hit the money line against them on the uh, against the Bills last week. That just seemed like a lock at, at plus money. At the very least, I think he's better at working the refs and maybe selling a call or two, certainly than Lamar Jackson who likes to finish his runs a little bit harder. I'll say that much. I'll say that much. Yes. Anyways, that is going to wrap it up for your football coverage on this edition of the DFO Fantasy Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As Especially always, for the season, always, depending how yeah. uh, the Lions get yeah, goes on Sunday. In a couple of weeks, we might be talking about it again. This might, If the Lions go to the Super Bowl, this might be a full fantasy football podcast next year. Sure. But uh, yeah, this is uh, I'm Brock Segan. We had Dylan G. Berthew, Michael B. Bonnie. Thank you for placing in your audio. We'll see you guys back here next week. Peace.